Hello from Brooklyn, I'm Brendan Hart, and welcome to Super Cities, a no BS deep dive conversation about the people and trends moving cities forward. All views expressed are my own and do not reflect our sponsors or partners. Let's get into it. On this episode of Super Cities, we do a deep dive with Oliver Noteware and Alice Formwall, co-founders of Street Smarts VR. We cover virtual reality, policing, and building a technology company from scratch. Oliver and Alice are an interesting team. Oliver spent time in the military and at McKinsey before starting Street Smarts. Alice is a simulation design expert who has conducted research at Stanford's Neuroscience Institute and informed design of pilot simulations for the U.S. Air Force. Let's hear from Oliver and Alice. We always like to start with a little bit of context. Can you talk about Street Smarts VR, how you came up with the concept, how you started working on it? Mm-hmm. When was that? Yeah. So we build, uh, design, and deploy virtual reality-based training for law enforcement and first responders. And the idea is to use the power of virtual reality to immerse them in realistic scenarios so they can constantly train in their department, in their agency, develop the, the skills and techniques that they need to just at home. So we want to increase the frequency to increase the sort of mental acuity. And how did you come across this problem? Yeah, I mean, so we both uh, come from first responder backgrounds. Oliver was an infantry uh, officer, Marines. And then myself uh, was a firefighter EMT for a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, this is something that's close to us. Uh, we both have our own experiences with training as well. Uh, and, and so we were seeing what was happening. Yeah, we were really frustrated with what we were seeing, you know, on the news. Uh, and, and so we wanted to do something about it. Uh, so academically, Oliver comes from uh, Columbia Business School. So he was really good at reading the market and, and understanding the trends of, of where uh, we were seeing police trends going. And then myself, uh, I have a, a background in cognitive science and, and neuroscience. So uh, I was able, we were able to like come together and, uh, and build this product. Um, and when was that? When did, when did you come together and, and start? June of, of 2017. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, and part of it was that we, is, we saw that society is expecting more and more of, of municipal police officers they have to know how to deal with folks with mental disabilities. They have to be prepared to respond to terrorism. They have to know how to deal with children. And the, the skill set is, is constantly increasing. But what we saw was that the support and resources and training that they were getting didn't always match the expectations that we have of them. And we thought, well, this is a problem. Like, in a way, they're being set up not necessarily for success. So, you know, in lieu of increasing budgets massively, which isn't going to happen, how can we provide training and, and support that's significantly lower cost and that's accessible at, at the click of a button? And um, so, so why is VR the, the answer to, to the, the challenge as you've just described it? Yeah, I mean, so officers have to make decisions in really high-stress encounters. And predominant literature on police performance indicates that psychological and, and physiological stress responses during use of force situations can impact its outcome for better or worse. And, and maladaptive responses uh, put officers and citizens' safety at risk. Uh, so it, it's really important that officers are able to train uh, in environments in which they actually can elicit a stressful response. Uh, so the type of training that they're getting right now is uh, scenario-based training, but on 2D screen displays. So that's not really enough to actually create that kind of stress response uh, that is really needed uh, 
in order to make those kinds of decisions. Interesting. And do other professions use VR for for this type of uh, of work? I could imagine. Yeah, the, the the description that that um, uh, you just outlined is not unique to police in 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 all component parts. Yeah, yeah. Pi- pilots use simulators all the time. So mm-hmm. think of flight simulators, right? You would never get on a plane with a pilot who said, "Hey, everyone, this is my first time flying. I've never used a simulator." Right? Like right. we've come to expect that that's how they train. And even the Air Force now is is running experiments to compare traditional flat screen based simulators versus headset based headset mounted displays, virtual reality. Their first iteration is just completed uh, down in, in Texas, and they found significantly better results from headset based VR, even against regular uh, flat screen simulators. Yeah. And so we anticipate being able to do the exact same thing for first responders. And is better is a better outcome in that scenario is that better performance? Um mm-hmm. is everything performance based or is it or are there measurements related to calmness under action or mm-hmm. or is that all bundled into in, into performance roughly? Yeah, I, w- I would say it's all bundled in. Uh so there's a lot of different measurements metrics for performance as you're mentioning. So some of them would be uh being able to control your stress response, being able to be aware that you're being stressed out. Uh, others would be uh, maintaining situational awareness, uh, being able to uh, see a scene and maintain focus and attention, but also being aware of situation around you and how things can develop. These are all just indicators of performance. Can we talk a little bit about the technology? Sure. So, um, so listeners hear the term VR. What what is VR? How, how do how does the the layperson think about VR, and how has the technology advanced mm-hmm. um, recently, where a solution like this is now actionable enough to uh, to both develop and test? Yeah, I mean, I would think about it as VR can put you anywhere, right? So, you know, you you want to go to I don't know, as far in Africa, you want to go, you know, uh, travel. Uh, there's a lot of you know VR for traveling. Because uh, what it really does is it provides you access to to places that you would not normally have access to. And then in, you can also control uh, everything inside the environment itself. So you can control the situations that play out. So, you know, the way that we like to think about it is if you've ever been to a 3D movie, you know, that's that's different. That's a different experience when something's actually coming at you mm-hmm. versus you're just watching it on the screen. Right. Yeah. The, has the technology advanced in, in meaningful ways o- over the course of the last number of years? Yeah. So, well, really, VR as a technology, the way that we think about it has changed over time, but it's actually been around for, for a pretty long time. Oh, so in the 60s, uh, you know, the Air Force has been trying to use simulators for uh, a really long time. As Oliver was mentioning, the way that they did it was they would use 2D screen displays and then they would, uh, they would slap them all around a person. So that they could be fully immersed in an experience. Literally screen, 2D screens. Yeah, literal screens, right. So now what we have is VR is advanced to to a level in which we don't have to be reliant on 2D screen displays and we can move around in the situation, the scenario. So in that way, VR has really just advanced to the point where we're actually able to use it for what I believe is the original use case. The original use case for VR, I think, is for training purposes, for learning, for being able to be immersed in a situation where you actually learn by doing as opposed by watching or reading. Uh, Cause it's, we're, we're also learning that the best way to learn is, is not by sitting in a classroom, you know, six rows and, and files. It's, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that Alice is talking about is with respect to the quality and the immersion, mm-hmm. which leads to better outcomes. And that's, that's great. And that's one half of the solution. 
The other piece is some of the uh, evolutions in the industry have to do with the hardware and the software and the costs coming down significantly to the point that a startup can start to mess with virtual reality to the point that even a municipal government can afford a virtual reality solution. So at this point, our price is significantly lower than any of the status quo 2D screen displays. We don't need to set up uh, a big installation in a department. We can send everything in a nice ruggedized Pelican case. We don't need months and months and months of development per scenario. We can do it relatively quickly without saying too much. Sure. Interesting. So just break that apart for me. So there's there's a hardware component Mm -hmm. to this solution. There's a software component to the solution. Uh, And then there's a content Mm -hmm. Uh, component to the solution. Can you just talk about uh, each of those uh, component parts a little bit? Sure. Mm -hmm. So on the hardware, so we'll start with the base, uh, the hardware. On top of that sits the software, and on top of that sits the content. On the hardware side, you have the gaming computer, which, which is sort of the brain or the engine. You have the headset, which allows the user to see everything. And then you have uh, weapon controllers, right, to, again, simulate the tools that a police officer would have. That's all, for the most part, we get that commercial off the shelf. We, we do some modification, but for the most part, we are not a hardware company. Right. On top of that sits the software layer, which is everything from the user experience, some of the features and review aspects, um, you know, how, how a training officer navigates through the program. Okay, great. As well as the, some of the data and analytics that we can collect on behalf of our customers. And then on top of that sits the content library. That's everything from working with emotionally disturbed people, domestic violence, public disturbances, you name it. And so with all three of those level levels aligned, you can have a very immersed training experience at home. Yeah. And, and what makes this different than the 2D screens I was discussing uh, is on all three levels. So, you know, the 2D screen displays on, in terms of the content and the quality, it, it's not there. It's not going to provide that training experience, uh, that realism and that immersive experience that we believe is important for this kind of training. Uh, and then also on the hardware piece, uh, th- these screens are they roughly like, Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, which is nice if you're you're the NYPD. But if you're a smaller department, and you can't afford something like that. Right. You still need to have that quality training. Uh, so on all these different levels, uh, VR is enabling us to to provide training in house to departments and, and allows them to train more frequently. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So where where does the solution plug into a police department? Um, you've you've mentioned training, but is that New officer training? Is it uh, remedial training? Is it, uh, it, it ongoing executive training? Yeah, it, it can be used for new officers at the academy. Great, because we allow a faster throughput and a lower cost per officer than traditional training methods. Mm-hmm. You can use it on the force for annual training, right, and regular requirements, and you can use it for remediation. And because we have the ability to track with virtual reality everything from where your head was to what time you made a decision, all of these very, very specific indicators. If a department were so inclined and wanted to track someone's progress over the course of their career, we could help them do that. So, so your customer is a, is a police department, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that means you have to get good at procurement, Correct. right? And navigating that, that tricky world. Um, yes. On, on earlier episodes of the podcast, we've, we've talked a little bit mm-hmm. about, about government procurement. Um, and, and how it's often sort of tilted towards legacy systems for, for a variety of reasons. How does municipality procurement functions, mechanisms, people think about VR? Or is this, mm-hmm. or is this just a technology that uh, is very new to them and uh, they're open to learning about it? It's very new to them. Uh, we're fortunate in that a lot of the cities that we've started working with have either a, an innovation cell or a chief strategy officer 
they have some resources to put into new technology emerging um, efforts. And so we've, again, been on like the uh, receiving side of some of those efforts. And that's been that's been invaluable. And because, of, you know, we like to think the positive re results that we've shown to the departments, they are now accelerating the procurement through their process. They're making it a little bit faster, a little bit easier. They also realize that by working with startups, they're going to get a better deal in terms of dollars mm -hmm. and they're going to get a seat at the table in terms of what type of content do we create? Sure. How do we yeah. continue to build the product? And, and yeah, and, and also they're seeing that the status quo for training right now is, is not working. So mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of pressure on, on municipalities to, to uh, address training. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, th they're more open right now uh, to, to solving this problem. Uh, so, so, for example, uh, there's been a lot of brutality claims. Uh, and so this kind of comes from this top-down level where, you know, the, these cities are, are paying out into these claims. And so uh, they're now mandating a lot of different types of training, de-escalation training. Uh, again, a lot of these smaller departments, they, they need that training, but they can't afford to have it. Uh, so although it's mandated and there's a lot of pressure to have it, th there just isn't the resources for a lot of these departments to actually receive it. And is that, is that one of... So it seems to me that there's a, there's sort of a set of interconnected challenges related to um, uh, sort of adopting technology at a, at a municipal level. One of them is budget constraints, naturally. Um, one of them may be um, uh, sort of leadership's level of comfort with new and emerging technology if, if a police chief has been in his job for uh, his or her job for uh, for a long period of time, they may not be as familiar with virtual reality as as we are. But every police department needs to be trained, right, on a n seemingly knowable, repeatable basis. Yes. Um, and rather than incremental improvements to existing training functions, um, you all seem to be introducing a genuinely new way to approach this very important function within policing. Is that mm -hmm. is that Accurate. Yeah, that's that's 100% accurate. Yeah. And, and we recognize that as opposed to some products, which you can just kind of throw out on the market and iterate and it's fine if it fails and, you know, you get better over time. The stakes are too high for the mm -hmm. industry that we're working in. So we're being very careful. We're not trying to displace any existing training for the time being until we get the validated metrics and the data points that proves that this is right. We know it's right. All the science and research backs it up. But we are right now at the forefront of proving that virtual reality training for police is the right way to go about it. And we're actually open to working with departments who are uh, interested in being a case study to prove that not only do they save money in terms of uh, training costs, they save money in terms of settlements and payouts down the road. They see better access to training, so more frequent training. They see better results uh, in terms of the performance of their officers. We can look at any of these, but we need innovative um, city officials. We need innovative police departments who are willing to to sort of take work with us. Yeah, take that step. Can we can we sort of zoom out a little bit and talk about the life cycle of, of the business? So we're recording in New York. How how have you you all plugged into the, the ecosystem um, locally? Universities, partners, investors, other mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. What have what have been some things that have really sort of helped as you've been building this business, as as you've been conducting research, as you've been um, uh, you know, de developing proprietary te technology, what 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 assets have you really leveraged to uh, to benefit the business? 
being in New York, a lot of people are very aware of security issues, right? Everything from 9-11 to working with NYPD, you name it. And so when we started pitching this idea and talking to investors and going to startup competitions, we were actually fairly successful in winning competitions and getting non-dilutive funding from an early stage. Great. And I think a lot of that is attributed to New Yorkers' recognition that security is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And police officers, any first responder needs good training. Right. And a lot of that comes down to budget and frequency and all the things that we've talked about. So that was an early source of capital and support, which has been fantastic. There's a great network of other police tech, civic innovation startups here in New York City. Everyone from Mark 43, uh, ShotSpotter has a presence. I mean, there, there are lots of other folks that we can go and talk to and, and look at for, for reference and say, hey, you know, how did you do it? How can, because we all have the same good intention mm -hmm. and it's talking to legacy providers isn't the right answer. It's right. much more important for us to start, talk to startups who are a little bit further afield than we are. Yeah, and, and just on the research end, there's also uh, institutions like BetaGov that uh, does research to try to influence policy. Uh, there's John Jay, which is you know a criminal justice institu institution. So th there's a lot of resources all around. And and um, does does John Jay do um, uh, a lot of sort of forward leaning research in in the policing space? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've had researchers uh, come to us and, and reach out and uh, want to do studies with us. Uh, so so yeah, we would say uh, people are really really interested in. Uh, all different kinds of advancing technologies from body cams to scenario training. Uh, they're, they're really interested in learning more and especially with virtual reality as, as a new type of technology of, you know, there, there is a lot of research for VR, a lot of research in policing, but policing for VR is something that's a little bit more new and, and something that's really exciting for people, I think. And, and um, uh, so I just, I did a demo before we, we, we started and it feels like the demo is the cell. Right. The, the more people you can you can you can run through the demo, the more people who can just sort of within they get it. minutes, they get it. Yeah, seeing is believing. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Right. Um, so how do you get how do you build that pipeline? I mean, how do you how do you get more people to 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 experience more of the right people to experience this? Is this um, are, are there are there conferences or, or sort of larger functions where you're you have access to to a large number of of officers or or. Um, um, or, or city officials? Yeah, there are conferences. We're being, because as much as we want to evangelize our product, we also want to make sure that we've built it in the right way before we try to scale it and push it out Got everywhere. It. Um, so again, we're working with a few departments and military agencies very, very closely and sort of behind closed doors to make sure that the data and the research backs up all of our hypotheses, and then we will start going. Um, what we don't want to be is like some of the status quo providers where it's all about like, oh, like, yeah, tough guy, policing, shooting, like this is cool training. Right. No, it needs to be scientifically validated, backed by data and incredibly effective right. before we push it out. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so there's um, uh, there's naturally upfront cost on the development of, of the technology. And um, and you, so I think you've mentioned that that um, you all are going through an SP. BIR process. Correct. Um, can can you talk a little bit about that? What 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 is SBIR? Why is it helpful? Why is it appealing to um, to to your company? Yeah, the SBIR is the Small Business Innovation and Research uh, Program that the Small Business Administration within the federal government organizes and runs. And their mission is to incentivize and I would 
say, subsidize small businesses to get them to work with the federal government. As you can imagine, typically working with the federal government is full of red tape and bureaucracy, and it takes a long time. And as a startup, like we can't wait nine months for approval and then another nine months for payment. It just, right. that, that doesn't make any sense. Right. So the SBIR, they put out a series of research topics and a small business can say, hey, this is something that we're already working on. We would like to apply for a little bit of funding mm-hmm. to support our development. Okay. And we've done that for a VR-based uh, research project, specifically for the Department of Defense. We were uh, selected as one of the, the grantees, and now we're working on that in conjunction with the DOD. Cool. So, so they put out... Um uh, a proposal, correct. Um, open solicitation, correct. and um, do they have a clear understanding of of what the objectives are, or is that part of the co creation process? That's part of the co creation. They have an idea of where they want to get to. Okay. They don't know how to do it, and they right. recognize that, which is right. fine. Mm-hmm. And then let us, as the startups, propose different solutions, and then propose a roadmap of how we're going to get there. Got it. And so, what would a what would a project what would be some of the sort of outlines of, of a project? How long does it last? Um, are you interfacing with, with DOD officials directly or researchers directly or, or end users directly? Yes. So it can be anything. There are different phases of the research trials, but it can be anything from six to 18 months. And yes, you're interfacing directly with the end user. You're interfacing with the commercial buyer, who's often different than the end user. And you're working with all of the other stakeholders who need to be a part of it. Everything in our case from the IT department, the security department, the procurement folks. It's one thing to say, oh, we have a VR solution, but how do we actually get that into a department or into a military unit? There are all kinds of other things. And through the SBIR process, it gives us, I don't want to say carte blanche, but but it allows us to start working with people that we otherwise might not have access to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a question about training that, that um, comes to mind is, if, if VR allows for better training, lower cost training, more realistic training. What's a, what's a baseline? How do we sort of m- measure what a baseline is that we can improve from? Yeah, so that, that's a tough question. Uh, and something that's going to be down the road, something that we're going to look at. Uh, right now, uh, we're doing preliminary research and, and trying to answer some of the, the simpler questions, right? You know, what what do we want to measure? Uh, what does good performance actually look like? We know that stress responses uh, have, play a big part and a big role in that. Uh, but some of the, the tougher ones is going to just be down the road. And I, we're, we're trying to maintain and be fairly realistic about, about getting there. And, but this seems like mm-hmm. a, a big opportunity. If there's, if there's not sort of legacy-based mm-hmm. historical data about how we measure or, or improve effectiveness um, that, that, that seems to be able to, to play into why, why a solution like yours would, would, would be sure. nested to establish that and then approve upon wh- where you are. One thing that we've seen in a lot of places, not just police departments, but all kinds of, of different uh, both public and private sector companies, it's less about the quality of your performance and it's more pass-fail. It's, right. Did you do your annual training related yeah, to, right. you know, sexual harassment right, or, right, right. you know, the IP policy or whatever mm-hmm, it is? Mm-hmm. There's very little from what we've seen in the way of, oh, you got an 85 percent this year and last year you got an 80 percent and now you're improving and this is good. And mm-hmm, let's continue mm-hmm. that. It's it's more 
did you hit the wicket? Yes or no. Right. And so mm-hmm. we've looked for a baseline with respect to training. And there are some very advanced units, uh, the SWAT teams, kind of the special forces, right. who have that level of data. But that's not who we're trying to serve. We're trying to serve the regular police officer, the patrolman who's on the beat on a regular basis and who doesn't have all the time and resources mm-hmm. to do training on a regular basis. So, yes, like you're saying, we want to help establish that baseline and work with departments to understand what criteria do they really care about? Sure. What are they right. willing to yeah. to look at? Yeah, and, and part of the reasons why they're haven't been hard-lined, established baselines, as Oliver was saying, is a lot of these things are pass-fail. Uh, they're not, the type of technology that's out there right now, the, the screen displays, they don't have a really great way to actually create baselines, uh, to actually track data. Right. Uh, and that's something that we're going to start trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really figuring out, okay, what are the events that we want to track? Uh, and, and being able to push this out into departments will also come with it a, a shift in, in thinking for the departments of, oh, we actually can track this. Now Now we can actually use this data to improve performance. They just have not seen technology and used it in that way before. So it's something that's going to happen over time. Uh, and we're very aware of it. A counterintuitive question here. Um, are, are you coming across narratives, people, research that um, says that training is not an issue, that uh, mm-hmm. challenges in policing are not related to training, but rather related to another Uh, another trend or another factor? We haven't seen anything that says training is not important. We've seen things that say that other factors are more important, like policy is more important or tools and equipment and and vehicles and weapons are more important than individual training. We obviously have a different approach. We have a different skill set. We think that the human being is the most critical uh, aspect and improving their decision-making is vital because when human beings are under stress, they make decisions based on the quality of their training. I mean, you know this from the Marine Corps. Right. You train how you, you fight how you train, and you yes. train how you fight. Yes. And if you only train, let's say, on, on the pistol range once a year, mm-hmm. is, is that enough to be a good shot halfway no. through the year? Probably not. Right. So we yeah. want to provide access to that frequent training uh, because, again, t- to us, it is a human performance issue. Yeah, and hey, this is a complicated issue. So mm-hmm. you know, we don't claim to... Uh, try to solve all of them, right? Right. Uh, so because it's so complicated, you have to start somewhere. Yep. Uh, and, and this is something that is more in our wheelhouse, something that we understand, uh, you know, on different levels. So it, it's it's where we wanted to start and, and try to make a difference. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I, for one, am thankful for that you're doing that. Let's talk a little bit about about the, the company, where you are, um, started in 2017, we're heading... Into 2019, I can't. I can't believe that it's uh, it's already December, or almost December. Um, uh, what what is what does success look like over the next 12 to 24 months? Um, where do you all want to be? What is um, uh, what what does what a, a relationship with with an individual agency or department um, look like over the last? What was it since June? So over the last sort of 18 months, for the majority of that, Alice and I were both in graduate school full time. So we were going to school full time and trying to build this full time. And we both graduated a few months ago, which has really allowed us to put even more time into the business. And I think over the next 12 months, one of the key indicators of success is getting some of these case studies and these research pilots down Mm -hmm. to show, yes, this is an effective thing. And that can lead to more research projects. And that can also show departments, hey, 
the data that we're collecting on your behalf is actually helpful to you. It's going to reduce your liability. It's mm -hmm. going to improve performance. It's something that you can sort of uh, highlight to all of your stakeholders. Mm -hmm. That's over 12 months. And then over 24 months, we want to build our training in such a way that it's completely turnkey, that uh, a chief who has five police officers under his command in mm -hmm. a small city mm -hmm. can log on and have access to training the same way that a major metropolitan police department can have training. Yeah. We want to level the playing field in terms of cost and access and quality. That's great. That's great. Um, how, how does the the research component of this um, sort of fit into into the product? What what is a uh, what is a research pilot or research project sort of look like? Duration or intensity? How how would you scope that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two different types of research. So uh, there's the research about uh, the pain points, right? The customer research, and then there's uh, research on virtual reality and, and is this going to actually uh, help to improve training? Now, the latter is a longer type of research and uh, we are currently working with different institutions that, that are going to run a longitudinal study. Oh, um, interesting. But with the, the customer research, it's, it's figuring out, you know, on a deep level, how do, how do departments function? You know, what does their budget cycle look like? How many... Uh, where are they spending their training hours? Uh, mm -hmm. How frequently are they able to train? Uh, and then being able to compare that to uh, how VR can actually improve uh, those statistics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is, um, is, is research and policing um, a, a big category? I mean, are there a lot of uh, universities, companies, entities sort of doing longitudinal deep research on on functions of policing? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's de there's definitely research out there. Mm -hmm. um, all over, if you look into uh, anything in human performance, uh, now in human-computer interactions, uh, anything uh, from, you know, stress responses, dealing with PTSD even, mm -hmm. uh, th there's a lot of different types of research on policing, uh, but not as much in terms of the technology and how technology can affect policing. And, and that's that's where we're, we're bringing VR to. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I was having a conversation recently about, about policing and, and technology and um, uh, sort of body cams was, was like, a, you know, a, yeah. a seen as a big technology breakthrough for, mm -hmm. for policing for obvious reasons. Um, but, that, but that feels like a low threshold. Emerging technology can be embedded in the entire policing process, starting with training. Yeah, and I, I think really what body cam body cams really showed is that transparency is only increasing. Mm. You know that there's there's definitely a call to action and a, a need to uh, to improve the transparency. And body cams were just the beginning, uh, and now we we see VR as a way to uh, include community policing mm -hmm. uh, in a way for. Uh, citizens uh, and people to actually see how our officers training mm -hmm. these days mm -hmm. so they can put the headset on as well. What is the mechanism to make VR as realistic as possible? What are sort of the thresholds? Is it, is it a visual threshold that, that the environment needs to as closely as possible replicate the, the, the policing environment? Is it mm -hmm. um, the, the voice commands or the feel of the, the tools that, that a police officer is using. Mm -hmm. I know it's all of those things, but, but how would you think about the progression of, of VR from where you are today into, you know, a, a, uh, 
a better overall technology solution in 36 months. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that VR does is like I was saying, it allows anyone to go anywhere. And one of the constraints of training right now is you can't do car stop trainings, for example, uh, in your precinct. Or you have to go to a facility, you have to rent cars, rent, you know, uh, hire actors to do reality-based training. So that's the kind of constraint that VR uh, is able to overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the future, it's going to be more about the communication piece. De-escalation is, is uh, you know, a huge part of scenario-based training. Uh, but the technology there is, is um, still in its infancy and something that uh, we're looking towards uh, into the future to be able to work with. And are, are there any um, agencies, municipalities, departments that, um, that are really uh, on the forefront of, of innovation and in policing, whether it's, it's utilizing technology or, or, or strategies? I know, I know NYPD just does, does an incredible yeah. job. In, in, in NYPD does a lot. LAPD does a lot. Um, they've done a number of things with drones and with social media tracking. Mm. Um, Seattle is pretty progressive when it comes to some of their policies. Okay. Um, and so, absolutely, we want to work with departments that are a bit more forward-thinking in terms mm-hmm. of trying out new policies or departments and agencies that recognize, okay, hey, there's something going on. We have this hypothesis. We internally don't know how to prove it or, or test it. But we'd like to work with a startup or a research organization to advance the thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. One other question about the company, and then I just want to uh, zoom out a little bit and, and talk to you all. Um, how does how does design? You know, Alice, you come from from uh, the design space. How does design inform the the science, the research, the methodology, the the mm. product? Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of different types of design. So uh, my background is more in the human-computer interaction design, so HCI design, which is is more how how do we use technology to improve performance? How should we design technology in a way that that doesn't just make lives easier, uh, but can all, actually improve the functionality? Can can make us better, uh, you know, at, at different types of tasks uh, that we we want to do. Uh, so there's that type of design, and, and then there's just user experience, uh, the interface, being able to design things in a way for that fit a certain type of customer. So police, for example, you know they're they're not used to using VR or this kind of advancing technology. So how do we design something that's can be really complicated in a way that that anyone can use? Can can the the first point that you made can can you just use a non-policing example of of, sure. of sort of how uh, designing technology in, in, in the right way can, can really improve human performance. performance. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of them, you know, sports and, and, mm-hmm. um, medicine, medicine, right. One of the challenges I, I've, I've heard, um, often is, is at some level, you know, the, the sort of technology talk is, is, um, um, is a little bit abstract, to people who just don't live in this space like like we do um and so creating tangible examples of of that robot mm. for medical procedure um there that robot has to be designed in a, in a particular way in order to lower cost in order to mm. um uh to mitigate follow-on medical issues um 
But that starts with design, right? I right, mean, if right. th- this isn't just like robot into into surgery, that's that's the easy. It's how it's the design mm-hmm. function that allows that to be done right in a way that's cost effective and mm-hmm. um, and ultimately frees the provider up to do the things that the provider is uniquely able to do. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I helped to inform design um, of simulations for Air Force pilots uh, in part of my research. Oh, and, and what we did as part of that uh, is create uh, adaptively automated systems. Uh, and what that means is so, you know, there's a pilot in a simulation uh, and we're getting neural feedback. Mm-hmm. So, so we're getting feedback on this thing called cognitive load, which, which essentially boils down to uh, how stressed out somebody is. Um, where are their cognitive resources going? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what we're able to do is, as this, this person is, um, is doing a certain type of task, mm-hmm. um, uh, like multitasking tasks, uh, we're able to actually get that feedback about how much cognitive load that this person is, is currently experiencing and then adaptively automate that actual system uh, where if, say, the person is uh, really, really stressed out, maybe the, the uh, machine will make some of the decisions for the person oh, to offload. Okay. Or maybe, you know, if you're trying to test someone's load and, mm-hmm. and, and you actually are trying to improve it over mm-hmm. time, uh, you can stress someone out more. And so being able to actually create a system that, that can automate that, uh, that's a way that you can design some, uh, a system in order to, to, uh, to improve performance. And is the, is the feedback loop um, uh, through biomarkers of, yeah. of some mm-hmm. kind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, a couple of rapid fire questions. If, Let's do it. Right. Um, what are you currently reading, and what are you reading it on? Do you read on apps or or are you hardcover? Recently, I've been reading a lot of DoD pubs, which is super exciting. Wow, it's like reading the tax code. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's brutal, but it's important for us to understand the lingo of the folks that we're working with. Sure. Um, because it, it, they're just such different. I mean, again, you know, from the Marine mm-hmm. Corps, there's such different words and it's incumbent upon us to communicate in their language, sure. whoever we're working with. Yep. Uh, I read it hard copy so I can highlight it and take notes mm-hmm. and then pass it to Alice so that we're, mm-hmm. you know, of one brain when yep. it comes to things. Yep. Makes sense. Um, so you do that on the train or something. You're, you're the guy who's reading. You know, I'm, I'm the guy. On, yeah. On, with like a 600 page document. Yep. It's fun. I've, I, I think I've seen you before. Uh, <laughs> Alice, what, what are you reading? Uh, so I actually, I read a lot of, uh, gov tech articles and publications. Oh, cool. Uh, so it's really important for us to, to become educated and really understand how the gov tech space works. You know, business government is, is different than, uh, you know, it, it's, it's its own animal and it, it has uh, its own challenges. And, and so just trying to read a lot on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you, um, individually, collectively spend time on social media? My cognitive load um, <laughs> is uh, I, I've recently started spending less time on social media because I wrote this post a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm up early, 5 a.m., sort of just do a snapshot of Twitter and I'm pissed off for the next you know, three or four hours because of and I start my, my day off uh, poorly. Um, do you spend time on social media? I don't spend much in terms of posting. But we do track and monitor and try to read things mm-hmm. um, to make sure that we're getting a, a good sort of mosaic of news and information mm-hmm. besides just the traditional sort of primary sources. Yeah, sure. And um, is that through Twitter 
But I mean, what's what's the primary uh, Twitter, platform? Facebook, and then also looking at local news websites. Oh. So uh, I mean, quaint idea, but awesome. <laughs> crazy, right? But a lot of um, local reporters have all kinds of interesting stories. Sure, everything from you know Tulsa to Minneapolis yeah. to uh, pick pick your small city. Sure. We'll just scroll through a lot of those just to see like what's sort of bubbling up that yeah. might not make national headlines. Right. Uh, Reddit is also great That's because awesome. um, yeah, you've, you've got a huge variety of folks pushing things out there that they find important, and that's what we want to know. How do you curate Reddit? How do, how do you uh, feels like Reddit is? Uh, I also enjoy Reddit, but I have a hard time working through what's useful to me because there's just there feels like a lot of information. Oh, on yeah, it. a lot of noise and not necessarily a lot of signals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, okay. Th- Last question, where can listeners find you all um, and what should they be uh, what should they be looking for? Can they reach out? Can they be helpful in some way? Absolutely. So our website is streetsmartsvr, like virtualreality.com. Uh, our personal email addresses are alice at streetsmartsvr and I'm Oliver at streetsmartsvr. Absolutely reach out. Again, we are most interested in working with municipalities and sort of forward-thinking cities. Um, around some of the topics that we've addressed here today. Thanks so much, Oliver and Alice from Street Smarts VR. Appreciate it. Thanks, yeah, thank you. Thanks. That does it for this episode of Super Cities. Before we go, some real talk. Cities feel broken, too expensive, too crowded, too chaotic. So we created Super Cities to elevate the people and trends moving cities forward. This movement is just getting started, so please rate, review, and subscribe to Super Cities and tag us using hashtag SuperCities. Your support really helps, and I'm thankful for it. This is Brendan Hart and Super Cities, signing off for now.